sits cruel cold on the waterfront, silent and dark and drear, only the black tide weltering, only the hissing snow, and I, alone, like a storm-tossed wreck on this night of the glad new year, shuffling along in the icy wind, ghastly and gaunt and slow. Yeah, they're playing a tune in the Guffey Saloon. It's cheery and bright in there. God, but I'm weak since the bitter dawn, never a bite of food. I'll just go over and slip inside. I mustn't give away to despair. Perhaps I can boom a little booze if the boys are feeling good. <laughs> yeah, they'll jeer at me. They'll sneer at me and they'll call me a whiskey soak. Have a drink. Well, thank you kindly, sir. I don't mind if I do. A driveling, dirty... Gin joint fiend, the butt of the barroom joke, sunk and sodden and hopeless. Another? Well, here's to you. Yeah, McGuffey is showing a bunch of the boys how Bob Fitzsimmons hit. The barman is talking of Tammany Hall and why the ward boss got fired. I'll just sneak into a corner and they'll let me alone a bit. Oh, my God, the room is reeling round and round. I'm tired. I'm tired. Yes, roses she wore on her breast that night. Oh, but their scent was sweet. Alone, we sat on the balcony in the fan palms arched above. The witching strain of a waltz by Strauss came up to our cool retreat, and I prisoned her little hand in mine, and I whispered my plea of love. And then suddenly the laughter died on her lips, and lowly she bent her head. And oh, there came in the deep, dark eyes a look that was heaven to see, and the moments went... And I waited there, and never a word was said, and she plucked from her bosom a rose of red and shyly gave it to me. And then the music swelled to a crash of joy, and the lights blazed up like day, and I held her fast to my throbbing heart, and I kissed her bonny brow. She's mine! She's mine forevermore! The violin seemed to say, and the bells were ringing the new year in. Oh, God, I can hear them now. Don't you remember that long last waltz with its sobbing, sad refrain? Don't you remember that last goodbye and the dear eyes dim with tears? Don't you remember that golden dream with never a hint of pain that lives would blend like an angel's song in the bliss of the coming years? What have I lost? Oh, what have I lost? Ethel, forgive, forgive. The red, red rose is faded now, and it's fifty years ago. T'were better to die a thousand deaths than live each day as I live. I have sinned. I have sunk to the lowest depths. But, oh, I have suffered so. Hark. Oh, hark, I hear the bells. Look, I can see you there, fair as a dream. But it fades. And now I can hear the dreadful hum of the crowded court. See, the judge looks down. Not guilty. My Lord, I swear. The bells, I can hear the bells again. Ethel, I come, I come. Get up, old man, it's twelve o'clock. You can't sleep here, you know. Say, ain't you got no sentiment? Lift up your muddled head. Have a drink to the glad new year. Drop before you go. You old dirty hobo. My God, boys. My God, he's dead. <laughs> That's one of the worst New Year's poems I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bring it up there. That's New Year's music, Herb. Let's hear it. Let them hear it. Yeah. 
show of the year you know and you know one of the great things about doing a show being on the air and performing uh, and uh, doing something like this on a, on a holiday is that you know darn well that very few people are listening to you and if you are listening you should be ashamed of yourself <laughs> i'm telling you <laughs> i mean if you're listening to the radio at new year's eve all i can say is oh my yeah well, now, we can't help it. we got to do it. But you don't have to listen. You know, that's the, that's the big difference. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, you know, all kidding aside, though, it is funny. This is the last show of this year. And uh, it's uh, kind of nice, you know, in a way. Uh, a curious thing about, about, uh, about holidays. You notice holidays are becoming almost exclusively these days media days. No, I think people... Uh, Celebrate uh, Christmas with Auntie Williams and his family. You know, that kind of stuff. Yes, join Bing Crosby as he celebrates Christmas. All right. Say, see the New Year in with Robert Goulet. And uh, it's, it's all kind of, it's all kind of uh, vicarious. You know, it's a, it's a, I could just see eventually they'll have, uh, when, when, when third dimensional television comes in, of course, that's going to make a big difference. You know that they're working on that. Or have you heard that, Jerry? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's the truth. I've seen it demonstrated, and it's, it's pretty eerie, actually. And when th when three-dimensional TV comes in, can't, do you realize what you can do? You can sit down to Thanksgiving dinner with uh, Arthur Godfrey and his pals, and there it is. There's a third-dimensional electronic turkey there in front of you. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, 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 it presents some very grotesque thoughts, but uh, it, nevertheless, uh, I can see it coming. I really do. Wait till I start putting skin flicks on third-dimensional men. I'll tell you, guys are going to be going out the window. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, here it is, you know, it's the last day of the year. And that poem, by the way, that I read was a, a, a poem called New Year's Eve that was written by Robert Service. He's the guy that wrote, wrote the shooting of Dan McGrew and the, the uh, cremation of Sam McGee. And, uh, yeah, great names. And he, uh, he wrote that in 1890-something like that. Uh, a long time ago. And, of course, in those days, uh, everything was far more sentimental. I mean, uh, really, people didn't, uh, uh, they, they weren't, uh, you know, they weren't worried about being sentimental in those days. And today, you can't really do that. In spite of the fact that we make all this talk about soul, you know, the soul is always talked about. The one thing you don't want to be is emotional. That's, uh, you know, it's kind of a contradiction, but that's the way it is. Uh, we're living in an age of contradiction. Yeah, here's here's another example of uh of the kind of attitude people had towards New Year's uh, some time ago. Again, this is Robert Service. And by the way, uh, the uh, curious problem of a, of a, of a New Year's, uh, any, any big major time of the year, especially the passing of an old year and the beginning of a new, uh, causes people to have curious mingled feelings. It isn't, it isn't as clean cut as, say, Thanksgiving. There's only one feeling you can have about Thanksgiving. 
like uh, give me the Alka-Seltzer. That's about it. You know, <laughs> and uh, what are you going to do? Uh, what's what's your attitude towards uh, Lincoln's birthday? I mean, it's uh, there and that's it, or Columbus Day, anything like that. But New Year's is something else uh, because it's intertwined with your own life. No question about it. And uh, it, it, so for that reason, uh, you're, you're, you're very mingled. Uh, on the one hand, uh, people always tend to look at any kind of a holiday, and it's groovy. You know, wow. And let's go down to Geno's. Let's go down to McDonald's and drink a lot of, get all uh, root beard up, you know, yell and holler, blow horns. And uh, But uh, on the other hand, uh, 19, whatever the year is, whatever year you're leaving, 1902, 1987, whatever the year is that uh, you have just lived through, that year is gone forever. Never again will there be another 1902. And you lived in it. Uh, that's it. You, you, you went through it. Even if you're only five years old or if you're a hundred years old, you lived through that one year. And so there's a curious kind of uh, uh, congratulations guys give each other. You know, it's secretly inside. You know one of the reasons why people celebrate the new year? You ever thought about it? It's because everybody has survived another year. Well, that's true. That's really true. That's, that's what the really ultimate reason for it is. That people have come through a year. You have you have lived in another year. And of course, of course, uh, uh, back in the times, in the days when living through a year was a lot more difficult than it is now. I mean, when people, uh, of course, it still isn't easy if you, if you listen to the news. Uh, I mean, but the facts of the matter are that the the whole celebration idea of the new year, and uh, in every tribe there is something that resembles the new year that we have. Uh, that it may be celebrated at different times and may have different names and all that, but it all means another year has gone by. And uh, some people weep, other people applaud. Uh, and, and it's always this intermingling. Here, for example, is another poem called The Passing of the Year. This, again, Robert Service. You know, very few poets today write much about holidays. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, very few writers write about holidays as, as they affect people, what, what happens on a holiday. But uh, this is Robert Service. This was written in 1892. He says, my glasses filled. Remember, he wrote this in the middle of the gay 90s. He says, my glasses filled. My pipe is lit. My den is all a cozy glow. And snug before the fire I sit and wait to feel the old year go. I dedicate to solemn thought amid my two unthinking days this somber moment, sadly fraught with much of blame and little of praise. Old year, upon the stage of time you stand to bow your last adieu. A moment and the prompter's chime will ring the curtain down on you. Your mane is sad, your step is slow, you falter as a sage in pain. Yep. Turn, old year, before you go and face your audience again. That sphinx-like face, remote, austere. Let us all read whatever the cost. Oh, maiden, why that bitter tear? Is it for a dear one you've lost? Is it for fond illusion gone? For trusted lover proved untrue? Oh, sweet girl face so sad, so wan. What hath the old year meant to you? And you, old neighbor, on my right, so sleek, so prosperously clad. 
What see you in that aged white that makes your smile so gay and glad? What opportunity unmissed? What golden gain? What pride of place? What splendid hope, O oh, optimist? What read you in that withered face? And you, deep shrinking in the gloom, what find you in that filmy, filmy gaze? What menace of a tragic doom? What dark condemning yesterdays? What urge to crime? What evil done? What cold confronting shape of fear? O oh, haggard, haunted, hidden one, what see you in the dying year? And so from face to face I flit, the countless eyes that stare and stare. Some are with approbation lit, and some are shattered with despair. Some show a smile, and some a frown, some joy and hope, some pain and woe. Enough. Oh, ring the curtain down. Old weary year, it's time to go. My pipe is out, my glass is dry. My fire is almost ashes, too. But once again, before you go, and I prepare to meet the new... Old year, a parting word that's true, for we've been companions, comrades, you and I. I thank God for each day of you. There, bless you now, old year, and goodbye. That's kind of nice. <laughs> it isn't bad, is it? That was uh, Robert Service called The Passing of the Year. And uh, this is speaking of wrinkled, seared faces. This is W.O.R. And uh, we're in New York, of course. Yes, I have here a, uh, a letter here I've just received from one of our victims up in Vermont. And he says, Shepard, I want to thank you. You have opened up my life completely. I am now loved in the neighborhood. There are women chasing me. I've uh, been able to uh, uh, grow more hair on the top of my head, all because of that fantastic flying bird. He says, that thing not only flies, but I am flying now. So if you would like to try this, friends... You just sent $3.98 to Flying Birds. Flying Birds, Department S, Post Office Box 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York, and the zip is 10017. Oh, man, does the thought of winter driving give you the unbelievable chills? <laughs> no need. With general winter tires, you go in snow, or big old general pays the tow. Yeah, yeah, it up big. Want to hear them songs? Right now, your nearby General Tire Store is offering a pair of famous winter cleat black wall snow tires for only $38, size 650 by 13. Federal excise tax is $176 per tire. Larger size is also available at comparable prices. White walls about $3 more per tire. This great General Tire has four full flies of Nigen nylon cord and a deep cleat four rib tread that digs and grips. So take advantage of General's low pair price on snow tires now. For all winter driving, drive in where you see the big red General Tire G. Yeah, yeah. I can think of some really wild New Year's that I've spent. And in fact, uh, uh, generally, I'm performing. That's that's one of the curses of, of being in showbiz. Generally, I'm performing. Two years ago, you remember Herb, uh, the big show at Town Hall? And, uh, oh, I... I I can remember endless performances on New Year's Eve, which are always very special. Curious feeling about the audience on a New Year's Eve. And I, I uh, remember a few years ago, I did a whole series of shows down at uh, a place called Number One Sheridan Square. It was a nightclub down there. I used to do a lot, a lot of nightclub stuff, and I may even do it again more this year. I'm looking forward to that again. I did... Uh, Another time, uh, a couple of years ago, I did a series of shows, almost, uh, I, I think, two or three New Year's Eves, 
were spent down at the limelight uh, on the air. I remember cheering and yelling, and maybe some of you remember those nights. But uh, those all sort of blend into one big performance. I can't, I can't really think of those as a specific New Year's, with the possible exception of the uh, the town hall show. That was extraordinary, really. But uh, all the other all the other things sort of meld into one big performance. And you know, it's kind of traditional for a performer to want to work on New Year's Eve. In fact, there's an old there's an old uh, musician's slogan that says, "If you're not working on New Year's Eve, you better get rid of that horn and take up the insurance game." Uh, <laughs> that's really a fact. Uh, it's not as much true as it used to be, but that used to be a line that musicians always said. But I, I uh, talk about crazy New Years. Uh, one of the earliest strange New Years I can remember as a kid, and, and I, it just stands out so clearly in my mind. It's almost like a like a movie. If I close my mind, I can see it as uh, like almost like it, it's happening again before me, even in color. Yet, yeah, that's right. Are your memories in color? Do you do you see? F sure. Because color is part of the sensory process. I've always felt sorry for people who are colorblind. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys don't know they're colorblind until um, they may even grow up not knowing they're colorblind. They, they really think they can see colors. And uh, then one day, all of a sudden, the terrible revelation comes. And I wonder what a colorblind person uh, thinks colors look like. It's a good question. Uh, I, I remember one day, well, you, I actually was present when a guy discovered he was colorblind. That moment, that actual moment, it was a kind of an embarrassing moment. Uh, I was a teenager, and I was playing on a ball team. And uh, it seemed like my entire teenage world was spent based on and around sports. Uh, that uh, it, it was either football or it was tennis or it was it was baseball or softball. We played a lot of big hard pitch softball too and one day we were riding home from a ball game and we were on our way to a ball game that's right and i was in the car with about four or five other guys and there was a kid named claude eaton who was in the in the uh played shortstop he was on the ball club a good good shortstop by the way and uh, we were riding along in the car and we had our uniforms on now the uniforms that we had that year uh were uh yeah, they were blue. They were sort of royal blue and gold. Uh, you know how these softballs uniforms are. We had the royal blue satin pants and these, uh, you know, these long ones that come down. And that we had, uh, they weren't slacks. They were like long, well, the baseball pants were long knicker types, you know, down. And uh, we had on uh, royal blue jerseys with uh, gold, uh, had gold sleeves on them. Yeah, that's, uh, and we had numbers in gold. So we were riding along, all in the car, wearing our uniforms, and we came past a, a, a ballpark where there was a ball game going on. A lot of people. We, we have to see a ball game going on out there. And uh, Claude looked out and says, you know, those are really great-looking uniforms. And everybody looked out of the window, and we saw the guys playing. And here they were playing right next to us, and we were, we were looking at them. as was waiting for a light or something. And he says, those are really great-looking uniforms. And he said, yep. He says, you know, I don't, I don't know why you, you don't see more uniforms like that. He says that you don't use black enough in uniforms. Look at the great-looking black uniforms. And I looked out of the window, and, and a couple of other guys were looking. We couldn't figure out what he was talking about because the uniforms that these guys were wearing were a very electric maroon color. They were very, very distinctly a bright, rich maroon. 
And and uh, one of the guys said to him, he just turned, he says, what do you mean, Claude? He said, oh, those great-looking black uniforms. Oh, that was terrific. They look great in black. And uh, <laughs> the guy, Donald Neff, who was a first baseman, a tall, skinny guy, all first basemen are that way. Neff said, uh, what do you mean? He said, they're black. He says, are those black uniforms? Do they look black to you, Claude? Claude says, yeah, what do you mean? They're not black. Well, everybody in the car saw they were maroon. And so, of course, everybody says to him right there, well, Claude, that's maroon. He says, wait a minute, black. He says, no, that's, that's maroon. And he was a little flustered, a little embarrassed. And, and it was that moment that everybody realized that Claude was, in fact, colorblind. And it was the first moment that he himself realized he was colorblind, although he probably had had a little confusion up to that point in his life. But this, this was really dramatic. So, you know, I've often wondered about people who are colorblind, what they think colors look like. And uh, I imagine some people listening tonight uh, are listening and don't know they are colorblind. And they're thinking the same thing. I wonder what colorblind people think uh, colors look like. <laughs> now, now, that's one thing that, that will keep you from flying, you know. But did you know that? That one of the most uh, astringent tests given to anybody who's going up for a pilot's license is the colorblind test. And if you're colorblind, forget it. You're just not going to fly for a number of reasons. And so they give you these uh, Japanese colorblind tests, and, you know, you're supposed to say 36, and if you say 8, forget it. Or if uh, you're supposed to say 42 and you say 7, you just better take up a surfboarding or something. You ain't going to be doing any flying. So, uh, nevertheless, I see my memories or dreams and or slash most everything else in color. Well, this particular New Year's Eve, I remember, getting back to that New Year's thing, I, I, I remember it so vividly because of, well, what happened, really. Now, many kids, up to the time you're probably around 9 or 10 or maybe a little bit older, maybe 11 sometimes, spend New Year's Eve being taken care of by an elderly relative. This is a fact. <laughs> I mean, uh, and it's, uh, it can be, uh, you know, there's a certain point in your life when uh, it becomes a drag, but earlier than that, it's kind of great, you know. So this particular New Year's Eve, I can't even guess how old I was. I couldn't have been. I know I wasn't going to school, so you can figure out uh, I had to be er younger than six. Uh, and I had a whole crowd of cousins. Uh, my mother had uh, four or five sisters, and all of them had two or three kids. And uh, they, uh, you know, there were a lot of kids anyway. And uh, we had been all put in charge. My grandmother was in charge of all of us. And uh, here we were. We were in this apartment in Chicago, and uh, we, it was it was uh, New Year's Eve. Well, now my grandmother, uh, <laughs> uh, probably illegally, uh, didn't didn't mind us staying up. You know, most uh, babysitter types immediately you're supposed to go to bed like when it's nine o'clock and that kind of stuff. But I remember we were all staying up, and my grandmother had a thing about New Year's. She uh, she used to, when, when New Year's time came, you know, we blew horns and we did all this kind of stuff. But that isn't the important thing that happened that night. We were we were all all in the living room of this apartment where my grandmother lived. And like most grandmothers' houses, it was too hot. Grandmothers tend to either keep the house too hot or too cold. And this was really hot. I remember how hot her apartment always was. And the steam heat is always going. And you could hear the radiators always going you know, and once in a while they go bing, 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 
And they always had these little silver things on the side of the radiator that would drip water into pots that she would stick under there. <laughs> and now that was my grandmother, you know. That's just the way she lived. So she had curtains all over the place. She was one of these curtain types. And, and everything was kind of very neat and clean. And the kids weren't supposed to run around on a sofa and all that jazz. And so on New Year's Eve, we're all sitting around there. My grandmother has a whole bunch of cookies she's made. And it's for New Year's, celebration of New Year's. And in, in her family, I've never heard anybody do this before. Uh, this may be something that was only in her family because I never heard anybody else do it. Have you ever associated good luck on New Year's with pickled herring? You have? I'll be damned. Really? Okay. Well, then, then uh, <laughs> we are not alone then. That uh, Now, I've never talked to anybody about this, but on New Year's Eve, my grandmother, you know, the whole thing, she came out, she went to the icebox, the refrigerator, and she comes out with this big tray and uh, had cookies and crackers and stuff. You know, we're going to have a little celebration on New Year's, all the kids. And uh, uh, some of the cousins I had were older than I was. You know, some of them were like uh, 12 or 13. They were pretty big kids, see. And uh, there were others that were smaller. I was sort of just there in the middle. So there were some that were only like two years old or something, you know, three. And uh, so here I am in the middle of this big crowd of kids. And it's uh, it's New Year's. I don't, I don't remember anything about uh, what year or anything. It was just New Year's. I know it was New Year's. That's all I remember about it. And, and, uh, and so we're all in the living room, and she's got the radio on. And every, ever since that time, I've always associated uh, somehow, curiously enough, with New Year's, I've always associated it with with listening to the radio, where you hear these bands playing, and and you could hear people cheering. That was the first time that I ever heard of Times Square. I, I didn't know what Times Square was, except that I could hear all these people yelling, and and I couldn't figure it out because my grandmother kept saying, "Well, it, it'll be New Year's soon. It'll, it'll be New Year's soon." So it's a, and I, I remember kids keeping, "Well, when is New Year's?" Says, "Well, it'll be soon." And here on the radio. They're hollering. See, they're saying, Happy New Year! And you can hear this fantastic crowd cheering. And uh, this announcer saying, And now I'm looking down on thousands of people who are celebrating New Year's. And uh, it's now, it's here it is, the New Year's, just in. And you can hear the crowds cheering. And the band is playing, da, dee, 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 and a crowd. And, and he says, We are in Times Square. When uh, the, the capital of the world, Times Square, New York City, New Year's has just come in. I couldn't figure out why New Year's was being celebrated there. You know, New Year's was there on the radio, but it wasn't there in our living room, see? <laughs> there was an hour time difference, but I couldn't, you know, what do I know from an hour time? And, and it was New Year's. And, and uh, my grandmother, she kept saying, no, it's not New Year's. And of course, the kids say, oh, it's New Year's. It's saying on the radio. And she says, no, it's not New Year's yet. It's New Year's in Times Square. And she was just New Year's in Times Square. She really was a grandmother. She didn't talk like that. And so my cousin Buddy says, where's Times Square? She said, well, it's, it's on the radio. I don't know whether she knew where Times Square was. <laughs> but uh, it was sort of on the radio. And, and uh, it's like in the radio, there's this thing called Times Square. And there's a fantastic crowd of people cheering. Well, we sat around. And you could hear the, the, the bands playing. And my grandmother had given us little, you know, had hats. And we were all sitting there with, with the paper horns and the whole jazz. It must have been about 10 or 15 kids, uh, all whole crowd of kids. My cousin Joyce and the whole gang were all there, and we're sitting there waiting with our hats. And then my grandmother, at that point, it's, it's now about 10 minutes or 15 minutes after the first big Times Square thing, 
she goes out to the refrigerator and uh, gets this platter full of stuff. It had uh, had crackers and then had the pickles and the, you know, and she had a whole bunch of bottles of of uh, coke and stuff for the kids. And uh, she's celebrating New Year's with us. Well, she passed around this this uh, pickled herring and said, "Now this is good luck. This is good luck if you eat this." Pickle here, you'll have a good year now. Well, you know, six-year-old kids, he's looking forward to, you know, really good years coming up, see? So, <laughs> she passed around now. Here's another thing, see, I had not ever in my life had pickled herring. Because, uh, just one of those things, my, my mother never ate it, as far as I know, she still doesn't. We never had it around our house, but we had it there. And so I'd never seen anything like this. You know, this was a whole new thing. Of course, uh, being about six or five or whatever I was at that time, I was deeply involved in, uh, say, stuff like Wheaties, uh, Twinkies. Well, you know, that was a big deal with me. But uh, pickled herring, I don't know from pickled herring. So she, she hands me the pickled herring, and I had it on a plate. And I, I, I didn't know what to do with it. So I see Buddy, a couple of the kids are eating some pickled herring. And I take the pickled herring. Well, it was my grandmother. See, she gave it to me. Now, there are some kids who, when given something they don't like, immediately go, ooh, ugh, rah, you know, this kind of thing, very openly. Uh, there are people, they grew up doing that, too. Yeah, they're, they're fetchers all the way to the last day of their life, and they don't care who they yell at, it's, it's, it doesn't matter, see. But I don't know, it must have been my bringing up or something. Uh, I just didn't, I, I didn't like it. As soon as I tasted this stuff, you know, I didn't like it, pickle herring, you know, that's pretty sophisticated dish for a kid and i it somehow it was sour and i i just uh, yeah, yeah but it was because my grandmother gave it to me and it was it was a whole big celebration i i i didn't say anything and i'm eating the pickled herring and i didn't like it you know and, and this was a very unpleasant thing but at the same time i i i didn't want to hurt her feelings so i i continue to eat the pickled herring well the, the, the kids started to blow their horns. You know, the, the, the whole party started to swing into high gear. The horns are blown, and everybody's drinking cokes and stuff. And, and grandmother says, she says now, she says now, in just ten minutes now, in just ten minutes, well, it'll be New Year's, and just going to be New Year's in ten minutes now. And uh, all the while, the radio's playing, and the clock is ticking away. There, she had this, this big old clock. She had a clock. You know those kind of clocks you see. That look like uh, they look like a little front of the Parthenon. You ever seen that kind of clock made out of some kind of dark wood? They've got like a little slanting roof with little wooden pillars, they sort of carved in, and uh, this clock is set in the middle of it. And uh, she had that clock, and it was called a Sessions clock. I remember that. And it would it just sort of tick, you know, it had a big loud tick, you know, and it had, it had a swinging pendulum you could see inside there. And she says, in 10 minutes, it'll be New Year's Eve. Now, get get all your horns ready and everything, and get your hat set. Well, just about that time, what happened happened. Yep, fantastic moment. We're all sitting around. The kids got their Cokes and stuff, and we're in the living room. Now, remember, this is Chicago. And uh, we're on this, up on the north side. This was not a little country town, friends. This was Chicago. And it's right in the middle of the whole big uh, north side scene there. When all of a sudden, out 
outside of the house. Of course, there were a lot of celebrations going. You can hear people cheering and stuff. All of a sudden, outside of the apartment, down on the street below, there is a sound. It just goes, Phew! It's all it goes, see? So my grandmother says, who are they? Somebody is uh, shooting off firecrackers. Let's go look out the window and see them celebrating the see them celebrating New Year's. So with that, all the kids come rushing. We're looking out of the window. And I remember looking down, and I see a car come like hell. I mean, he really came roaring down the street. And, of course, it was a narrow side street with cars parked on either side. And this car came whipping down the street with a red light on the top of it. It was, it was a red light. And, of course, now I know it was a police car. I didn't know at the time, but I see this red light coming, and uh, there's a lot of people running around. And my grandmother, who was very innocent, she says, Oh, see, they're probably going to shoot off some more fireworks. And you hear, pow, pow. You hear more, pow, 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 pow. Just a lot of shooting out there. That's what it turned out to be. And we're looking out of the window when suddenly we see this guy run across the, the sidewalk, across the street, and all the kids are looking. We're all watching this thing because we don't know what's going on at this point. We just think that's celebrating the New Year's down there. It's dark, but there was a street light. I remember the street light. A guy ran through the street light. There was a lot of flashes, I remember, and people yelling, and my grandmother keeps saying, isn't that interesting? They're shooting off fireworks. Yes. And, 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 and <laughs> three more of these cars come with the big red lights on the top. Well, of course, then it was obvious what was happening. There was some big scene going on out there, and, man, we were, we were right across the street from it. And what... What then started was really a story because one of the cars, one of these cars, had a searchlight. And now they have the searchlights all up on about the third or fourth floor of an apartment house, which was just catty corner, kitty corner to us, right across the street, but a little angle away. And all these lights now are up on the top of the cars, and they're, they're focused on this one window up there. There's about, oh, there must have been three or four lights now. And people are running like mad, and you see these flashes and stuff going off. And, and, and now there must have been at least 50 of these cars have come from all directions. They're down there with the red lights going. And it was at that moment, of course, that you could, you could really begin to see it because my grandmother is now, she's now fully aware that they are not, that it's not fireworks. <laughs> she wasn't quite sure what it was, but she knew it wasn't fireworks yet. And she saw all these guys, and we could see the police. There were, there must have been 150 police. Fantastic crowd, and they're they're all running around and hiding behind the cars with the lights going on. Well, how's this for a New Year's, friends? They got this whatever it is. They've got this guy trapped up there, up in this building, and sure enough. Uh, within about two minutes, you hear a lot of shooting. Now, a lot more. You, it's coming from all different directions. You see, pow, 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 pow. And, and my grandmother says, oh, quick, 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 run. Quick, oh, no, all of you, quick, under the day bed. And so kids were laying under the bed, day bed and everything else. And you could hear the shooting going on out there. Probably the wildest New Year's celebration I've ever seen. It was fantastic. Well, this must have gone on for about... I would say five minutes, and the radio is playing. Here's the radio playing. And and all of a sudden, the radio stopped just like that while we were all laying on the floor. People, kids are running around, and, and uh, my grandmother's all scared. She's afraid somebody's going to get hit with a bullet and all that stuff. You could hear it out. You could hear this steady drum fire going on outside. 
And in the distance, yes, it, you know, gunshots uh, do not sound the way they do on television. I hope you understand that. That a real gunshot, it does not sound the way it sounds in the movies either. First of all, it's a duller sound. Uh, most uh, gunshots, as they're produced by radio or TV or movies, are all nicely equipped with echo chambers, with, uh, with fake uh, ricochet sounds. In fact, they sound a little like this. Now, give me a little there. That's a gunshot in the, in the popular terminology. But uh, the actual way that a gun goes, they sort of go, that's about the way they go. There's a curious popping sound. You don't hear any echo, really. Just poof, 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 poof. All, all kinds of uh, sounds, but mostly poof, poof. Well, you could see the smoke. That was what was so fantastic about it. This is something else you don't see on television much. But you could see a lot of blue smoke drifting in this tremendous beam of this white searchlight. And it's, it's, it's from the shooting is what it is. It's smoke. From, it's from the gunfire. It's gun smoke. Literally gun smoke. More, more flashes. Well, by this time, you know, everybody's flipping. And you can hear people running up and down the stairs of our apartment house, you know, running up and down grandmother's apartment house, and people are slamming doors, and you could hear screaming going on, and sirens. There must have been a thousand sirens. Oh, you could hear them coming from miles away. And when all of a sudden the radio, which has been playing this music, you know, uh, they're picking it up from the uh, Sherman Hotel or someplace like that, the music stopped, and an announcer came in, and said, we now have a special bulletin. Big uh, uh, lefty Magoon has just been trapped in an apartment house on the north side of Chicago, and uh, is shooting it out with police. And uh, we will bring you further information. That's all the information we have at this time. I repeat, big lefty Magoon has been trapped on an, in an apartment house on the upper north side of Chicago, we will bring more information to you as soon as it's available. And now back to the Sherman Hotel. And now, and you're outside, you hear, pow, 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 Well, <laughs> it's a fantastic scene. Well, all of a sudden, it stopped. It just, like magic, it stopped. No more shooting. And uh, you can hear a few sirens coming from the distance. And my grandmother is now creeping up among her fern plants and uh, yeah she's she's uh, <laughs> she's creeping past the the uh, platter that had out of the the pickled herring and she is peeking out and she's oh you know she oh my look at that my oh my well, with that we all crowd out now I, I'll, I'll always remember the scene we're looking down all of us are looking out of the window and they've got this guy they actually caught him and and he is is in the searchlights, all this light. They've had the whole front of this building now dramatically lit up. And here's this guy. Remember, he, he had his shirt sleeves on. I remember he had a white shirt. And his shirt sleeves are on, and it looked like he was wearing some kind of a black vest, you know, the kind of stuff that Humphrey Bogart always wore, actually. And uh, he's got a fedora, like a, a hat on his head, see? And these guys got him by each arm. There's about five cops got, you know, each arm like this. And two or three cops have got guns trained on him, and he is being brought out of this apartment house. And with him is this lady, a chick, and she's she's got this, you know, just exactly the way the movie. You know, you, I could just see her being played by Susan Hayward. You know, she's got this this bright blue dress, and uh, she's a tough-looking bimbo, blonde. And you can see the lights all over these people, all the people in the darkness. There's thousands of people gathered out in the street watching this whole scene. 
and, and you can hear mumblings of the crowd, and they bring him through the light, and they put him into the squad car. And you can see the lights are still up on this building, and you can see where the windows have been broken. There's been a lot of gunfire and stuff. Apparently he gave up, see. And the, the cars all move off. And just about that time, you can hear the singing. You know, you, they begin to sing, you know, Old Lang Syne. You can hear him singing it away, see. And, and, and my grandmother says now, oh, she says, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Just like it never happened. See, Happy New Year. And she's blowing the horns. Happy New Year. And she's blowing the horns. And the music comes up, and you can hear thousands of people singing and cheering, you know. And outside, then they started to yell. People were blowing horns. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Well, Happy New Year! Woo! The people are cheering. And the radio is now just like normal. And then the announcer suddenly breaks in. He says, uh, the uh, report has just come from the central headquarters of the police department that Lefty Magoon has been captured. He has been captured, there were no injuries, and with him was an unidentified woman. And now we return you to the New Year's celebration at the Sherman Hotel. And these people are cheering, you know. My grandmother says, Happy New Year! And we never mentioned it again! That's what makes it so grotesque. We went right out and ate our, ate our uh, pickled herring and drank our Cokes and blew our little horns. You know, we had these little... <laughs> And that night, my mother and father came and picked us up, and the next morning, she says, did you have a good time with Grandma? Yeah, yeah. We ate uh, pickled fish. Yeah, I didn't like it. She said, well, I, I am glad you had a good time. It wasn't until years later we told her about the scene out there. <laughs> Happy New Year, gang. Yeah. By the way, you're listening to the New York Giants football team led by Fran Tackenden singing Auld Lang Syne, which is probably the truth about a lot of them. <laughs> forgotten forever. So, uh, what can you say? Hang loose? I think a clean thought now and again? And I'm really sorry you had to listen to the radio.
This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for the news. Lester Smith.